Good afternoon, Kingston Temple. Very happy Easter to you. Please be seated. What more of a great opportunity today as we remember the resurrection of Christ and all that he's forgiven us for, that today we are speaking on overcoming offense and how we may forgive all those who have trespassed against us and make right with people and release people from our hurts and pains in our life. But I believe before we overcome any offense, because I think a lot of the time when we're dealing with offense, we spend a lot of the time dealing with a fruit of an issue. But it's actually the root that we really have to focus on. And I want to look a little bit of the life of Samson, because I think Samson reflects this a great deal of a man who was hurt, a man who then expressed a lot of anger. Because a lot of the time, if I was to, or if somebody was to strike you and hit you, the first thing that you would feel is the hurt. And then you would feel angry. But a lot of the time, we just focus on the anger, which is actually a fruit of the hurt. So to really deal with offense and to overcome offense, we first must look at the root of the hurt in our lives. But after we've identified that, after we can see some of the tactics of why our enemy, the adversary, wants us to be hurt and how we can use that for his good to draw us into our flesh for us to sin so he can trap us. Because John Bevere said that the, the, he wrote the book, The Bait of Satan. He believed the offense is the bait of Satan. But after that, then we can draw some strength and we can see how Jesus himself lived, a man who did not sin, but a man who lived free from offense. Not that he was ever tempted, because he was tempted in all things, but he was able there to stay free from offense and live in the freedom and the peace that that brings. But the word does state that offense will come. He did say that offense will come, but what we have to do is be disciplined and learn how to deal with that offense. But let's first look at Samson, Judges 14, 16. And a little bit of the background of the story here, because it's a, it's a big story, I haven't got time to go through it all, but Samson, it's probably safe to say that, that, that Samson was um, a bit of a ladies' man, maybe. He had tremendous power, and his power was in his hair. And there was a covenant that uh, the angel of the Lord made with his parents when he was born. And one of them was that he would not cut his hair. But when the power of God came upon Samson, he was a mighty warrior for the kingdom. And there he is in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Fame as being just that and recognized as that. So for all his shortfalls, Samson was also a mighty warrior and used for the kingdom of God. Now I know that Samson was used by God to pick a fight with the Philistines, but that doesn't mean that he did everything right. And we can learn from his errors and we can learn 
from the fruits of where a lot of the places where he didn't quite do things right. And here he is, and he's identified uh, a potential future wife, but she's a Philistine wife. That is the equivalent of us today wanting to marry a non-Christian. But he said to his parents, I want that lady. And his parents went and organized it with the Philistines, with her family, that he would marry her. And we read here from 13, wrong, Judges 14, 16. And it says, But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband, that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. If you ever want an example there of emotional manipulation, uh, you've got it right there. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother, so should I explain it to you? Now he, she had wept on him for seven days. While they uh, wept on him seven days. Now she had wept on him for seven days while they, well, while they feasted last. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she pressed him so much, then she explained the riddle to the sons of the people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down. And they answered the riddle. Now Samson was furious because he knew that they would never be able to answer that riddle unless they were with him. From the story that we see before with the lion when he took out the lion. And he was furious. He was angry. He knew his wife had betrayed him. And his heart was open to his wife. Do you know, the people where our hearts are most open to or the connection with our hearts that we have is the most easiest place for us to be hurt and offended because our hearts are open. And we went on to see from Samson there that he got so angry that he picked a fight with the Philistines. And yes, the Spirit of the Lord came with him because the Lord was riding on the back of Samson's anger and thought, yes, I want to, I've got a bone to pick with the Philistines as well. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. But we continue on reading through the book of Samson there in Judges. But greater wounds started to become inflicted. As he came to bring revenge on the Philistines, they took revenge on him, which brought more hurt and more wound upon him because it went on and they actually burnt his wife then, he went back to reconcile with her and took an offering to her. But then, subsequently, they burned her. That must have been greater hurt and a greater wound for Samson. He got even angrier. And you know the story. He got, he got the jackals or the foxes and he tied their legs together and he set a torch of fire and he set them fr free into, into the Philistines' crops and burnt all their crops and then we read on again, and we see where Delilah then comes into his life. But we'll we're come to that again shortly. But my point I'm trying to make 
is great hurts occur in our lives on our journey. And I know for myself, I had a great hurt in my life when I was younger. I have not always walked with the Lord, and I've not always lived right before the Lord. But there came a time where I was pressing into God with all my heart, and there was something came into my life that was causing me great offense, and I was furious. And God speaks a lot to me through dreams and through visions. I'm a very visual person, and God knows how to speak to his sons. But he speaks to me through dreams, and he speaks to me through visions, because I'm visual and I can see what God is trying to speak to me. And I went to sleep one night, and this dream that I'm about to share with you really set me free and helped me in so many areas of my life. And I truly believe that it can really help some of you here today also. I went to sleep, and I dreamt that I was in a petrol station. I was in a petrol station, and I was filling up the tank with petrol. As I was filling up the tank, going about my everyday business, someone came running across me in my dream, across the forecourt, and they grabbed me. And they said, Mr. Mr., there is petrol pouring all out of your vehicle. I said, what? I looked down at the petrol tank, and I saw that I was filling up the petrol. And as I looked down, there was petrol pouring all out over the forecourt. And I said, what on earth is this? I stepped back and said, where's this, all this petrol pouring from? So I went to the side of my vehicle, and I looked at the side of my car, and there was a huge dent and hole in the side of my petrol tank. I couldn't believe it. I looked closer into the petrol tank, and there inside was a robin. And I looked closer into the robin, and the robin was hollow. It was like it was dead. It was light. It was stood on a tiny little perch inside the vehicle. And I said to myself these words, how has that little robin caused so much damage? And I was amazed with this, and it really was imprinted upon my heart. And I went to speak to my pastor. And I sat down with him. I said, I've had a dream that just will not leave me. And I believe there's something very significant in it. And thank God for spiritual men of God. He sat down and he discerned my dreams straight away. He said, Chris, tell me a little bit more about the damage on the tank that you saw. And I said, well, it was all buckled in. It was all cave, sort of caved in. The metal was pushed in. And he went, okay. He said, Chris, the tank represents your heart, your heart. And that robin has not caused all that damage. But it's a wound in your heart through your life that now the robins, the offenses, can easily come in and out of your heart and your life because there's no protection there and there's a lot of damage and there's wounds. And that really spoke to me. I knew in my life what that robin was. And he said to me, this is what I want you to do now. I want you to go home now. Before you go to sleep tonight, I want you to pray. I want you to visualize you putting your hand into that, your heart, 
you will rip out that robin, you will cast it aside, and you'll pray for the Holy Spirit to come into your life, to come into your heart, and to renew and to repair your broken heart. As I spoke those words, I felt like a warmth come across me from God, and as if His Spirit, like a warmness, came up into my heart, and all the metal, all the brokenness of the tank, all the brokenness of my heart, started to come back upon itself and come to a place of wholeness. And then I said, from now on in, anything that comes into my life will not come through my brokenness, but I will come, it will come in through my wholeness. And that's what we want to be. We want to be a body and we want to be a people that are whole. Because this is the plan. The plan is the enemy wants to... He's, he's, he's deceiving. He's deceptive. He, he, he's patient. He's watched you all your life. He's been around since time began and he will see where those wounds are and those hurts are. And he'll wait. He'll be patient. And as we move on to it later, at some stage, he will bring the Delilah into your life. He will tailor make offenses and hurts to marry up with your unique hurt and your new pain. So we need to deal with the root before we get to the fruit. But let me share with you a little bit about what the fruits might be. Because sometimes we're confused. And my pastor helped me to gain understanding from this. But these are some fruits of some hurts that we may feel. Inner rawness. Often a sense of inner rawness and hurt that doesn't seem to go away. Irritability. It's easy to become irritable with people, even if they are not doing anything wrong. There's little or no tolerance in your life. Feelings rise up inside you of anger, of hate, and they seem, up to, they seem to rise up in your life from the slightest bit of offense. You're overly sensitive about an event in your past, and you find it hard to forgive. And you even find it hard to love yourself. You find it hard to love yourself and you find it hard to love others because there's a hurt in your life. In Hebrews 12, 15, it states, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up can cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. You see what happens is when we've got our robins in our life that come in through our brokenness, and there's a brokenness there, we cipher everything through the lens of bitterness, anger, and hurt. And we don't filter everything through the love and the grace and mercy and goodness of God. Because our flesh is screaming out. The robin gains root inside the wound that you have and it begins to decay and rot. The living waters 
of God that's inside your heart. And out of your heart doesn't flow rivers of living water, but out of us flows toxic. We become toxic. Now, I'm sure you've experienced, and obviously it's nobody here, but people who are just toxic in life, they ooze anger, they ooze bitterness, and they ooze hurt. And you think, what has, what has hurt you, do you know? But this is what's happened, and this is actually the enemy's ploy. So what we need to do is we need to remove that robin, we need to identify the fence, we need to know what our hurts are, and we will see things through the lens of God. We need to observe things through the lens of God to purify our hearts and that the living waters flow as they are created to do. Now, a great way to do this originally is accountability. That's why the cell groups are so powerful here at Kenston Temple. It's because you need a mirror shined in your face. The Word of God is a mirror, but also you need people around you to shine a mirror and show where your hurt and your offenses are. Because they're so clear to us, but we can't see them in our own lives on many occasions. And I've had to come around some people in my life, and my pastor for one in my old church, and sit with him, and just be blunt with him, and say to him, what do you see? And let him get to the root and hold up a mirror to me of areas of my life that are not right with God, or where I'm showing any bitterness, hurt, anger. Because better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. Amen. And they may hurt when the people bring them to us, and there's a sting, and there's an ouch, but God chastens the ones that he loves. Amen. So look out for each other. Let's look after each other. We're a body. But you know, I'm a, I love Sun, Sun Tzu. I don't know if you know Sun Tzu. He's a Chinese tactician, ancient Chinese military tactician, an absolute genius, and a lot of his military tactics are used to this day. But this statement that he made rings true to us in our lives because who knows that we're in a battle in this life and there's an enemy that wants to destroy us, amen? And he said, it is said, if you know your enemies and know yourself, you will not be defeated in a hundred battles. If you do not know your enemies but do not know yourself, you will win one and lose one. If you do not know your enemies, nor yourself, you will be defeated in every attack. So the idea is that we first must know the ploys of the enemy in our life and his tactics, but very importantly, we must know ourselves. And I think I've shared a little bit about that, is finding the root of our business bitterness, and I, I don't want to dwell on that too much. But I just pray that the Holy Spirit, as I speak this afternoon, as you spend time with him, will bring to fruition to you and remind you and bring to light any areas in your life that you've received a deep wound in your heart which now is manifesting in the points that I made and through an opportunity for the enemy to bring about offense. So Sun Tzu is basically saying we need to know ourselves but we also need to know our enemy 
tactics. And isn't this true about Delilah that came into Samson's life? He was there, a wounded man, and the enemy knew what to bring into his path. Exact mirror of what his wife did was pressing him and pressing him and pressing him for the answers to what about the riddle. But Delilah came into his life, a beautiful woman, to entice him with the issue of lust that he had, and he drew him into revealing to her the secret of his power. And the word states that Delilah enticed him. The enemy through Delilah enticed him and drew him to reveal the secrets of his heart. So the enemy wants to pull us out of our flesh. He wants to pull us into our flesh. And the word states that in James 3.16 that for where envy and selfish ambition there is you will find disorder and every evil place. So for where envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. The enemy, through offense, wants to pull you into your flesh to respond in anger, in bitterness, in unrighteous behavior, to pull you into sin. It's the trap of Satan. And then when he pulls you in to that sin, he ensnares you, and he's got a hold and a grip on you. And that's why they call it the bait of Satan. And 2 Corinthians 2, verse 10 or 11 says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We cannot be ignorant of his devices. So what do we do? We've identified our wound, we know the ploys of the enemy to bring about offense in our lives, to pull us into our flesh, because where self-seeking and envy is, is every kind of evil. But we can't go about our own ways to bring about ramification. We cannot try and sort issues out in our own wisdom and our own strength, because God has set about a kingdom of God, and it's his judicial system that we must live by. We are not judge, but he is judge, and we not, must not judge those lest we be judged ourselves. So even though we feel the hurt, even though we feel the pain, even though many a time we're right to feel that hurt, and we're right to feel that pain, there is a principle of the kingdom, and there is a judicial system that God has put in place where we must deal with that offense that we've received in our lives. So the enemy wants to lure you in through your flesh and your hurt to take the bait, so then in turn you will take the bait of that offense, your snap. And who's been in so many situations where a member at work has hurt you, they've frustrated you, people have said wrong things about you, how many times have you wanted in your flesh to make amends of that situation? How many times have people said wrong things about you and you want to rectify that situation yourself and to deal with it? That's what the enemy wants. He wants you to go into your flesh and to deal with it 
in your own way. But we must live according to God's judicial system. We cannot take things into our own hands. There is a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to destruction. We must totally forgive, and we must totally forget, and we must leave the rest to God to deal with. Do you know there's a time in my life where, just like many of you, I'm sure, somebody severely offended me. Somebody very close to me, but also somebody in a very senior position that I entrusted my life to. And it came to a stage where the hurt was so much, what they were doing, I felt, was completely unjust. But it wasn't just myself. Others noticed it as well in my life and said, Chris, how do you put up with this? Why have you not left this place by now? And I said, God, God hadn't moved me on. And I just had to stay in his word every single day and renew my mind to his truths. But as, as easy as it sounds to do that, I'll be perfectly honest, I, I didn't always do that. My hurt was a lot, and I was young in my faith. And sometimes I said the wrong thing, and sometimes I did do the, the wrong thing. And slowly but surely, I felt as if there was a rock in my heart, and it was hardening my heart. It was hardening to me to the people around me that I love, and it was hardening my heart to God. My relationship with God was drifting away. And again, God gave me an incredible dream to speak into my life during this situation. And I walked over in my dream and I saw a sheet on the floor. And on this sheet was all lots of stains and marks. And I went over because I wanted to mop up all this mess and all these stains that had occurred in my life through the hurt and through the offense. And in turn, what I was doing, saying the wrong things, doing the wrong things, my morale was going down, and my performance at work was going down. And as I was cleaning it up, the people that had hurt me, and in turn who I now was hurting myself through my hurt, came over my shoulder, looked at all the mess upon this sheet and me trying to mop it up, and they were furious with me. And I just fell on the sheet, and I wept. And God said to me in my dream, Chris, just throw the sheet in the washing machine. So I just grabbed the whole sheet in my dream and I shoved it in the washing machine. I pressed the start button and when I pulled out the sheet, it was completely clean. I knew at that point God was saying to me, you have to go make right with these people. And a part of me was thinking, God, they need to make right with me. They're the one, who, they, the one who first offended me. They're the ones who first hurt me. And besides, I'm a young Christian and they're, they're very senior in a position in the church. Well, what am I doing going to make right with them? But I knew what God had showed me. 
and I sent them an email and said, do, do you mind if I come and speak to you? I've got something I'd like to share with you. And they invited me in. I sat in the office, and I shared them all what I shared with you. I said, listen, I've got deep hurt and offense with you. It's killing me. It's suffocating me. Forgive me for where I've said and done the wrong things towards you. I didn't bring to light anything that they had really done to me. Because it's our responsibility to take actions for what we've done. We're not to take responsibilities for what they've done. So I took complete responsibility for the areas I've done right. And I let God, I prayed that God would deal with them in an area that they've done wrong to me. I didn't finger point. I didn't say, you've done this, you've done that, you've done that. I just took responsibility. I was old enough and wise enough, although not perfect, to know that the word of God tells us to do that. And I made right with them. And I felt a tremendous release in my life. I felt the rock fall from my heart. Truly, as I saw in my dream, I felt like the, clean, the sheet was washed clean. And I knew God had given me the strategy to walk free from this hurt and this offense that they'd caused me in my life. And then, once we forgive, we just must completely forget. But that's easier said than done. Every day it's a discipline to wake up and to pray and to release them from the hurt. Because there's nothing more the enemy would want to do in our lives than to remind us of it and to pull us back into our flesh and to start the whole cycle again. So we must forgive and we must completely forget. The Bible says it's impossible that offense won't come, but God says vengeance is mine. Let's just read that in Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. What proceeded in my life there? To be honest with you, I, I never received one formal apology from anything of what those people did to me in my life. I never received one formal apology, or they never once took any responsibility for the hurt that they caused me in my life. And there was a great danger that I could take offense from that in and of itself. But I just stood on that scripture, and 1 Corinthians 13, and Luke 4, 26, which I'll read out shortly, I spoke out over my life every day. I cannot express to you in words what God did for me through those people and where he has positioned me today. If I didn't go before them and do what God has shown me to do, I don't believe I'd be here today. I'd have been completely taken out, backslidden in bitterness and in hurt. But I thank God for his grace. I thank God that he showed me to do. And as for them and their lives... Well, that's down to them. God would deal with that situation. That's not mine. We just must release them and do what God's shown us to do. But I guarantee that God 
will bring about the victory in ways that you will not believe possible when you forgive and when you forget. So we do things God's way. We don't think, do things our way. God's judicial system is set up for us. Vengeance is his. And he'll work it all together for our good and for our glory. And who knows Joyce Mayer? We all know Joyce Mayer. My goodness, if we ever want to learn about forgiveness, what an incredible woman of God. My goodness, I think I've been through some offenses and some hurts, but that lady, my goodness. But I looked at one of her quotes, and she said, forgiveness is not an easy decision. I'm sure you can all relate to that. But it's a decision that we make because we want to do what's right before God. It's a quality decision that won't be easy and it may take time to get through the process depending on its severity. But it's a decision that we make because we want to be right with God. Amen? But what does the enemy want to do? The enemy wants to... He wants to nullify you. He wants to neutralize you as a soldier of God for his kingdom. But the biggest thing he wants to do through offense is why it's so damaging is he wants to bring discord amongst the brethren. He wants to bring discord amongst us because we're to be together in the spirit of the unity in the bond of peace. And where there's no peace, God cannot build. We know with Solomon building the temple, he wouldn't let David build the temple with his own hands. He designed it but he had been through so much battle and so much war that he gave it to his son Solomon to build because he was a man of peace. God will never build his temple or anything unless it's built on the foundations of peace. So what is it the enemy wants to steal from our life is our peace. And when he steals our peace, he steals our joy, he steals our love. And in a roundabout way, The kingdom can't advance. We hinder yourselves individually with your own journey with God because you end up building on hay, stubble, and straw through offense and a hurt. But he has called us to build on gold, on silver, and on bronze. When we choose the way of God, when we choose the way of love, when we choose the way of forgiveness, when we choose to live according to God's judicial system, we're seeking first his kingdom, his judicial system, and his righteousness, and then everything will be added to us. We build a life of gold, we build a life of silver, we build a life of bronze, so when the times of trial come, when when the fire of God comes down to test our lives and all that we've built, it will stand strong. So together, collectively, we're building a church upon a solid rock of peace. So when we are tempted to be offended, and when we hold bitterness or anger or resentment to one another, 
Not only are we hurting ourselves, but we are hurting Christ's church because Christ will only build collectively as a unified body because every joint knit where every joint is supplied. And if one of us is hurting or damaged, it becomes toxic and begins to affect the whole group. A little leavens, leaven leavens the whole lump. So we have our responsibility individually, but the knock-on effect is that we must have responsibility collectively to walk right with one another. Do you know the word says that before you come and bring your gift to the altar and you have remembrance of offense or hurt that you've caused to your brother, first make right with him. We can't come into the presence of God glorifying him and worshiping him if we in ourselves have been the offender and hurt our brothers and we remember that we have something caused them hurt and done something against them. We must go straight away and make right for them. We must release them and we must pray that they will release us from all the hurt that we've caused in their life. Amen? Amen. But I want to make a small little caveat to this as I have time. Not every offense that will come into our lives will be of the enemy. We point a lot of things to the enemy when it's not actually God. And a great understanding and insight I had was somebody very close to me in the ministry was building a Bible college. It was going to be a fantastic Bible college with incredible teaching. They had everything in place. They had even recruited all the students that were due to turn up. And the head person who was going to run that Bible college at the last minute pulled out. And they said, no, I don't want to do it after all. And the person involved who was going to head up, who was overlooking, whose church it was, who was overlooking this Bible school, was absolutely infuriated. He was angry. And sometime later, a few years later, he said, to, and he shared this publicly from the platform, that God spoke to him and said to him, the enemy didn't do that to you. I did that to you because I wanted to show you what was in you. On many occasions, God will allow fences to come into our life to expose us what's inside of us. Because he loves us, he wants to refine us, and he wants us long-term to be used for his good and for his glory. Now you see David, when he went to take out Goliath, David went down to the brook to pick out five stones. And he went into the brook, he picked out five stones that would be smooth, that would be fit for the purpose to take out Goliath. So we would need smooth stones that when launched and projected would fly through the air straight and to do its job of taking out the enemy, to take out the job Goliath. And he picked up four others as well because it is believed that Goliath had four brothers. 
so he needed another Thor, he could take them out also. But I find it interesting that the stones that he, broke, he took were smooth. And I see a type and shadow here of a, of a body, of us. Those stones, to become smooth, in the brook would need to bash and they would need to grind against the other stones in the brook to make them smooth. But also what makes the stones smooth is the waters of the brook running over the top of the stones. And together they become refined and they come fit for their purpose. You see, the other stones in the brook are us, are other people. And God allows other people to come into your life to begin to grate you. Because iron sharpens iron. And they begin to cut and rub from us all the sharp edges that are in our lives. But also the waters that run over the top of the stones are the waters of living water is the water of the word of God that also, as we read it, as we hold it up to us, refines us and washes us clean. And we see also with olives. In the Old Testament, when they used to grind olives, they grinded the olives to produce the oil. Now the oil is a type and shadow of the Holy Spirit. So what God does is he grinds us and he refines us. So eventually the badness is pushed out, but also the oil, the anointing, is also pushed out of us. I heard one minister say to somebody once who was up on the platform and they had an incredible anointing. And he said, when I see a credible minister on the platform, I do not ask myself, how much have they spent in the word of God? How much knowledge they must have? He says, I say to myself, how many trials must they have been through? Because it's the trials in our life. Count it of all joy for when you face trials, because then I'm teaching you perseverance. It's the trials in our life that refine us, and God can use offenses and anything in our lives to refine us. So have a think in your workplaces. Have a think of where you do life. Have a think who is grating you. I'm sure husbands, you'll say your wives now. And they could be a great instrument to refine us. But that's what God does. He wants you fit for purpose to be used for the kingdom of God. Amen? Do you know Jesus today on Resurrection Sunday, when we look at his life, what did he do? He was a man in Isaiah 53, 7, states that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of a man. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So when we're in situations of trial, a situation of offense, we must keep our mouth 
closed. I told you a story of the person who greatly offended me in my life. And something very significant happened to him in his life that hurt many people. I went away astounded that night and we were all in great shock of what happened. But no sooner could I open my mouth to pass comment that God said to me, Chris, to the measure that you will judge, I will judge you. And God was firm on that with me. And my goodness had this person hurt me. But he said, to the measure that you judge, I will judge you. And praise God, we never get into a situation like this gentleman was in. But we're never to pass comment. We're never to judge. Because there, in turn, the enemy will take our words and he'll use it against us. To the measure we judge, it shall be turned back to us. In Matthew 27, 39-44, it says, And those passing by were hurling abuse at Jesus, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. They will now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he delights in him, for he said, am, I am the Son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. And then we see also that Jesus was being beaten. He said he offered, Isaiah 56 said, he offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from the mocking and from the spitting. There was Jesus, the Son of God, sent to earth to save us and reconcile us of all our sins so that in him we may be free. And they spat on him and they kicked him and they beat him, but he opened not his mouth. How incredible is that? The Son of God, beaten, mocked, abused, and hurt, but he stayed steadfast, knowing that the enticement of the enemy, that if he said anything or fought back in any way, because he could have clicked his fingers and obliterated the whole earth, power under control, meekness, but he did not open up his mouth. How much of a lesson can we take for that when we ourselves are being offended, where we are ourselves being hurt, that we do not bring judgment upon ourselves, but we stay steadfast in our spirits. We anchor our souls to our spirits. We remember what Jesus Christ had done for us and him as a great example But you may say, but that was 
But that was Jesus. You know, he was born without sin and he didn't have the flesh like I had. But then we look at Stephen being stoned to death. And he looked up into the heavens and he saw the skies part and he see Jesus stood at the right hand of the Father. And Stephen said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Do you know that the enemy wants nothing more than to fragment us as a body? In Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, it says, reminds us to keep the unity in the spirit of the bond of peace. We must be united. We must be united, church. A united church. Individually, we cannot be drawn into our flesh where there's self-seeking and where there's envy. We must forgive those, the trespasses of those who hurt us and to bring us down. We must make right with those who in turn have also hurted us. And you know, I had a great opportunity just before I came up on the platform here. And R.T. Kendall said to me, Chris, what are you going to preach on? And I said, well, offense. And he said, ah, yes, Easter Sunday. What a great opportunity. And he gave me a scripture, John 21. And it's the story of Jesus returning back, resurrected, as we remember him being resurrected today. And Jesus said to them, with no mention at all of the sins that they committed, no mention at all of the hurt that they had afflicted on him, Peter betraying him, Judas betraying him. Nothing came out of his mouth other than peace to you as the Father has sent me I also send you. Let's stand to our feet this evening, this afternoon. And let's just bow our heads. I spoke at the beginning of a hurt in our lives. And I also spoke about making right with people in our lives that have hurt us. So this afternoon as we remember today with our heads bowed and eyes closed, of all that Christ has done in our lives, for all that he has forgiven us for, that I believe there's two types of people here this afternoon that I'd like to pray for. There's those that, as I was speaking here this afternoon, the Holy Spirit 
has brought to remembrance a hurt in your life. And you've been frustrated because you've identified fruits in your life of anger, of frustration, of irritability, of bitterness that keeps surfacing, that you're annoyed by and frustrated by because you want nothing more than to be free from that. And the Holy Spirit is brought to remembrance in your life a hurt like Samson, a small wound originated from his wife but then grew into a deeper and bigger wound that then gave opportunity for Delilah to come into his life and to put him down. And there's a second group here who, as I've been speaking and for a while now, you've been thinking the Holy Spirit has brought to remembrance a person that you have offended and a person that you yourself have hurt. And I believe the Lord would say to you today, go and make right with them. Set yourself free and set them free. Because the word of God states that offense will come. But he says, woe to them who the offense has come from. Also an opportunity here this afternoon, remembering all that Jesus has done for us, to remember all those who have hurt you, to set them free and to release them. Pull the robin out of your tank, out of your heart of hurt, that the living waters cleanse you, walk in his love, walk in his freedom. And may peace be with you. Father, I just lift up to you right now in the name of Jesus. All those who are hurting from a hurt in their life. Holy Spirit, I thank you for shining your light upon this hurt. Thank you, you have great purposes and plans for their life and you want them to be free in you. So Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit who discerns all the intents and hearts of man, reach your loving hand into that place of hurt right now in the name of Jesus by your Holy Spirit. May they feel the healing balm of your love and of your grace. Soothe that hurt right now in the name of Jesus. Cleanse them and soothe them, I pray.
Father, I just pray for all those who need to make right with their brother before they come to you. Father, I pray that you will strengthen them with might by your spirit in their inner man. You resist the proud, but give grace to the humble. May we have humble hearts right now, Father, as we immediately go to make right with our brother or sister, whom we have know we have hurt or offended. And Father, may we release all those today who have hurt us. So richly as you've forgiven us of all things, that now in turn, Heavenly Father, we forgive those. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Thank you that we're a unified church, Lord. A church with no division. Church unified by your love, a church unified by your grace. Thank you for that you have new mercies for us every single day. And though a thousand may fall at our side, ten thousand at our right hand, Father, it shall not come near us. Only with our eyes shall we see the reward of the wicked. I thank you that we're victorious in you, Christ Jesus. And on this day, as we remember you, we're reminded we're seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places right now with all things under our feet, in power and in glory and in full dominion. Thank you, Father, for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. And thank you as we go about our week victorious in you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's give Jesus the glory. Hallelujah.